Good evening, Patriots. It's Monday, May 16th in the year 2022. And welcome to Tuesday if you're on the East Coast. We're going to go through a few verses tonight. I'm also going to read a poem by Rudyard Kipling and a few other things. So I think it's going to be an interesting perspective that I think we need to take in terms of the calamities that we're facing and what it's going to require of us in our true faith with Christ to get through this. Make sure you're getting good sleep. I really mean that, and that's important. There's obviously a fantastic sale going on right now with my pillow. Buy one, get one free. And it's important that you have good sleep and have the good products to get good sleep because this is going to take its toll on many levels. So let me play a message here from Mike Lindell. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of MyPillow. Thanks to your support, you've helped make MyPillow become one of the fastest growing companies in America. Over the last 12 years, you've helped MyPillow create thousands of jobs right here in the USA. When I got MyPillow, I'm asleep almost immediately. I stay asleep at night and I wake up more well-rested in the morning. That's why I invented MyPillow. My patented fill adjusts to your exact individual needs and helps keep your neck supported and aligned. I'm interrupting this commercial to bring you my BOGO extravaganza. For example, you get one of my Giza Dream bed sheets and you get a second set absolutely free. Or my six-piece towel sets. Buy one set, get another one absolutely free. Or get my classic premium my pillow and get another one absolutely free. So call the number on your screen or go to mypillow.com and use your promo code to get my buy one, get one free offers and get deep discounts on all my pillow products. And your promo code is BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. Head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash BARDS, which is, of course, the BARDS Nation special landing page. Thanks to all you great patriots. And if you head on over there, you can use that promo code anywhere on the Frank Speech site, the My Store site, and, of course, for the best deals right now, the My Store or the My Pillow site. And there's also many other great savings for mattress toppers, mattresses, Giza pillows, Giza cotton pillows, all sorts of great stuff. And if you want to speak to a real person, give them a call at 800-975-2939, 800-975-2939. Again, use your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, and they will get you hooked up. I'm going to read something here to kick off. This is, there's a couple really good Telegram channels, and I've recommended them, but I'm going to recommend them to again, again. This is one of them, which is Blazing Press. Blazing Press. They run a really good daily real news feed the other one which i'm working to get her on the show and i hope she comes on is plastic girl reporting that's a fantastic telegram channel way too small for the quality of work that it's been doing or she's been doing so it's another two but anyway let me read this this is a a mike adams post that they reposted here and i think that it's uh it sums up a lot of things, and we're going to kind of put it in shape. Mass shootings, just one sign of the systemic collapse of Western society. The realization is hitting home for many people that the crisis now hitting the United States are not simply one-off events. The infant formula outage, rising fuel prices, supply chain collapse, authoritarian censorship, and now a wave of mass shootings over the weekend. They all point to the systemic collapse of Western society as a whole. On top of that, the dollar is collapsing in real-world value, even as it rises against other currencies temporarily, in parentheses. The Fed is trapped in an inescapable economic collapse scenario, and the housing bubble is in the process of bursting. Our president, in quotations, is a dementia patient, who was installed in a rigged election and our news media, if you can even call it that, our journal terrorists who parrot CIA lies and corporate disinformation to invoke race wars and COVID panic while pushing depopulation vaccines that are designed to exterminate humanity. <laughs> in true Mike Adams fashion, I think he just summed up the world. Though a little dystopian, it's on point. And just so we're clear, I have tons of respect for Mike. I, I like him a lot as a person, and uh, I respect him immensely for the effort that he's doing out here constantly every day. 
so I, the point that I'm trying to get here, and I, I'm going to kind of add to this, I spent about 30 minutes of time that I'll never get back. Like, I feel like my brain was literally like a vacuum kind of try to get sucked onto my brain, like some sort of leech, try to suck out everything in my brain by watching 20 to 30 minutes of just screaming through telegram posts, primarily by the youth. And I, I'm, I'm in a certain way, I'm a little bit speechless because as we've worked within our and it is kind of a stovepipe of of a beautiful group that we've come together, fellowship in the Bards Nation. And when I say a stovepipe, it just means that we've built an amazing community. And it's not very often that I go wandering into the weeds to kind of see what is trending in the latest generation stuff. Now, when I do this, I'm going to qualify that I, I'm always cognizant of the fact that algorithms boost up stupid stuff and likes are driven by bots. I get all that. But in looking at the volume, is that this is how I balance it out. I look at the volume of posts that are of the same category, which that category would be called mind-numbing, brain-dead trash in, in my category. It is stunning the level of debasement and moral bankruptcy that we have as a nation. Mockery of, of faith, obsession with personal looks, obsession with crazy. I, I watched one video of, of someone making some sort of coffee, and it was like the, the entire attitude of the video was just to show just like, like just pouring stuff on the counter and just recklessness. There's just, there's a lack of, there's a very cognizant lack of pride, an attempt to try to look like you don't care about anything. And I think there's more than an attempt to look like it. I think people are literally living there. And of course, when you match this with statistics, which is showing that there's a massive increase in the suicide of children, we have actual classrooms that have taken children through the scenarios of talking about committing suicide, choosing to die rather than to live. The institution of teaching and anybody that's left in it at this point in time for me, and I, I this may seem harsh, but then when am I not at certain topics? And this one is, I'm really at a point right now, and I'm finding an increasing consensus with what I'm going to say is people that remain in the teaching institutions remain there because of a salary. They don't remain there because of an attempt to do good. And because they're choosing salary over good, in the end, that's you're probably going to be the first on the list for the lake of fire. Our children are, are in a mess. And that, sadly, is a huge statement to our entire society. A lot of what's happened with this injection, which is obvious, and we don't know the magnitude of this destruction, but we do know that there's strong evidence to point to the fact that youth and adults alike that took it have become sterilized. And when you go through, if TikTok was a reflection of the character of society and I was an alien race, I would just look at this and start laughing and go, watch how quickly we could take it over. But more directly, what you really see is how dark Satan's hand has been here in persuading the youth. I want to read a the, the Pied Piper of Hamlin tonight to begin with. And I want you to listen to this story and we'll talk about it. And it begins, this is the story of the Pied Piper of Hamlin. A long, long time ago, the people in the town of Hamlin had a big problem. There were too many rats in Hamlin. People tried everything to get rid of the little pests, but in vain. There were rats in every color and shape. Even the cats couldn't do anything. The chief of the town called a meeting and told everyone he would give 10 sacks, 10 sacks of gold to anybody who saves them from the rats. Finally, one day, a stranger from a faraway land came in to Hamlin. Dressed in colorful clothes, he had a feather in his hat, and he carried a pipe. He said to the townspeople that he would get rid of the rats. Then the stranger took his pipe and started playing an odd but wonderful tune. 
All the rats in the town heard the music and began to run to him. As he walked through the streets of Hamlin playing his pipe, more and more rats followed him. Rats from every corner followed the Pied Piper and his music. The clever man took them all to the river. There, one by one, all the rats fell into the water and drowned. And Hamlin was free from the rats. The Pied Piper went back to collect his reward, but now their problem was solved. And the greedy townspeople did not want to pay him any money. The Pied Piper was very angry and thought to teach this town a lesson. Immediately, the Pied Piper began playing his pipe again. This time, all the children in the town heard the music and ran after him. Every girl and every boy of Hamlin began to follow the magic music. The Pied Piper took them all to the cave outside the city and closed the cave door with a huge rock. Only two children were left behind. One little boy had hurt his leg and the little girl couldn't hear anything. They went to the townspeople and told them what had happened. Now the townspeople were very scared and very ashamed of breaking their promise. They went to the cave where the Pied Piper was and begged for forgiveness. They then promised to give him the 20 sacks of gold. Finally, the Pied Piper let the children go. The town of Hamlin had learned never to be ungreedy, ungrateful and greedy. The Pied Piper disappeared, never to be seen again. But they say that sometimes in Hamlin, if you listen very carefully, you can still hear the beautiful sound of the pipe. We have become very consumed as a culture with our need to be obsessed around material things and money, providing the children with pretty much anything that they want. We have become obsessed in our work to get to better cars, bigger houses. And it's not for the benefit, too too seldom is it for the benefit of creating self-sufficiency. Most of the time it's for status and for all the things that we shouldn't be involved with. That have nothing to do with God's mission for us here on earth. So let me read now, as you've heard that, let me read Romans 1, 18 to 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from the heavens against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up into the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up the natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them.
Where does the responsibility lie in a culture when we have lost our way so deeply that our children have become reckless and out of control? And I think this is a very heavy and very deep realization that reflects back to what Mike Adams wrote, which is that we're seeing before us the complete collapse of Western society, in particular the United States. There was a time when the people looked to us to lead the world, and now we have a country that cowers in fear over an invisible virus, people that comply to anything that the state says, people that obey anything that the media puts in their head. And in the midst of all of that, we have lost our way with the most important asset and the most important task that God gave us, which is nurturing our children. The stories that, I'm, uh, that I grew up with were stories, and in, even that as I grew up myself, it was a very different world. And I'm, I'm not that old. I'm only 57. And yet the world that I grew up in, the community held youth accountable as much as parents. In my father's day, there's a great story of a friend, who, a guy who became a good friend of the family later on, but he was a raucous young man. And my grandfather was chaperoning the local high school dance. My dad was there, but this young man decided it was a good idea to come up from behind on my grandfather who was sitting on the edge of his on the edge of his car outside observing and talking to a friend and tackle him to the ground um what he had apparently didn't know or had forgotten is that my grandfather having been both a real cowboy spent years as a sparring partner for some of the best professional boxers and was also a trained jujitsuist placed his two fingers on this young man's throat, his name was James, and squeezed around his trachea. And he told James this. He said, James, you have a decision to make, and you need to make it now. Either get off me or you'll die. That one moment shook James to the core. And when that happened... It transformed James as a young man to become an unbelievably good friend to the family and to my parents. When I was young, I and I've told this story before, but it always stands out as just such a powerful story for me. It was a transfer. It was a real moment of of eye opening moment. I went to the rodeo with a buddy of mine who was in high school, and I was wearing a cowboy hat. And as things happen, when you're young and you're running around you don't you get used to the cowboy head on you didn't even think about it and I was in this in the stands at the rodeo I was down in front standing I hadn't taken my seat yet and the national anthem began to play so I stopped and I put my hand over my heart I was very patriotic but I didn't remove my hat so we went on about to watch the rodeo hour hour and a half whatever it was and I took a walk out. We, I decided to leave, and my buddy and I were heading back. And as I'm walking across the gravel parking lot, I get a call out from two gentlemen and well-dressed men of the community. He said, young man, come here. And I came over. I said, yes, sir. And he says, you wore your hat during the national anthem. Don't ever do that again. Boy, I'll tell you, that's, that sticks. That sticks. And it sticks because the community is looking out and living by values that we have long lost. And so in a, in a different way, this begs the, the passage for me of Luke 19:41 to 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. And this is the words of Jesus saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. 
For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. That's a powerful passage for me as I look across our world right now. And it's a heavy time. There's a lot happening. And I ask myself and I ask God when I talk about this, I'm like, Father, what is it? What more can we do? And I was kind of going through this this morning in prayer, in fact, lamenting over some of this and talking in, in this conversations I was having with Father. I was talking about, you know, prepping and making sure we have good home defense stuff and asking, you know, kind of questioning my own mind, which wasn't directly part of the prayer. Like, do I, have I got enough ammo? Have I got enough of this? And it was literally a rebuke like I haven't had for a while. It was literally, what are you doing? And I, and I kind of came out of my self-consumed narration that I was letting, sharing in the presence of God. And I just was reminded boldly. It's like, I gave you the gift of voice. That's the sort of spirit. What are you doing? And this led to a pretty interesting journey in prayer today because what I opened my eyes to is that we're never going to win this war by guns and violence. We know that, but I think we have to be reminded we are taunted with this idea constantly of our Second Amendment rights, which don't get me wrong, they're important. And they're important because they create a physical standoff with a very vicious evil that's trying to encroach upon us. But in the greater picture of victory, we're not going to accomplish victory through violence. And unfortunately, there's so much violence in our culture and so much debauchery in our culture that we don't even know which way we're going. We're morally bankrupt as a country. And that doesn't fall on anybody in particular. So I say that because I, I, there's many times when I say these things, I can hear people re, almost pulling back saying, but that's not me. We're good in our household. I hope so. But the reality is, as a nation, all we have to do is witness our youth to see where we sit. And our youth are the reflection of the wisdom of our nation. And it's not healthy. It's not healthy at all. And what's been missing is the true power of our faith in daily lives, in our homes, and as examples for our youth. And we see the effects. We're outsourcing our children to Luciferian indoctrination camps and somehow bewildered why they're turning out the way they are. We're handing them over to the control agents of, of digital hell. And we're bewildered why they come up with strange behaviors or habits. We're letting them free to roam, even though we say we may or may not have parental controls, but it's easy enough to bypass. And we're stunned when they suddenly start to get ideas of sexual perversion. We're handing them over to groomers on a regular basis, we're exposing them to the entire indoctrination system of all of these subtle signals intended to impregnate thought and affect thinking to such a degree. And then we're stunned when they start to question their gender. And then when they start to question it, parents as a whole don't really know what to do. So you hear these excuses of like, well, they're just going through a phase. That's not just a phase the momentum that's going to be picked up by these things transforms society. And then we end up with children, which is a huge thing going on right now, by the way, if you aren't tracking it, it's the regrets. The children that are now becoming adults that are saying, well, I don't, I always was a boy. I don't want to be a girl now. I want to be changed back after they've been surgically altered. But the thing is they're forever damaged because the process they've gone through with that 
will never allow them again to reproduce. And that gets to the core of nurturing a society. We're at a moral collapse in the real world. And it's not something that happened yesterday. It's something that's been growing on us for years, decades. But we've been so buried in our concern for our money and our things that we weren't paying attention to the Pied Piper. And we weren't paying attention to God. And now the Pied Piper is stealing the children. And we're screaming in outrage. We're saying, what, what, what can we do? And we're turning to God saying, God, fix it. But we created the problem. And that's where this really the biggest issue is. Is as we now face this time, it is extremely important that we as a nation return to our roots and our grounding in Scripture, but also face the need to repent for all that's happened. And that doesn't mean that right by doing that, things are just going to go away. Take, for example, and I'll just tell you a true story. I mean, I when I built, I had my department of defense company, and it was going very well. And it grew significantly. And there was a new contract that we had signed on. And that new contract was a $2 million contract for my company. And I made the necessary expansions. The contract was signed. The money wasn't put in the bank yet, but it was signed. And I picked up new office space. And then literally a month later, after I'd already signed the new leases, I'm informed that the $2 million was no longer there. And that's a whole rabbit hole of why it happened. And there was the FBI later came in to investigate at that lab and all that good stuff. Not really good, but all that stuff. But that whole crisis that was built there, there's not, you don't just fix that through prayer. That was, there was mistakes that I made in anticipating something before I actually saw the dollars in the bank and trying to get ahead of growth. There's some things that I didn't pay attention to and and I should have seen signs of this coming along. These things happen. It's business, okay? Well, as a culture, we've been spending so much time distracted on the other things. We're not paying attention to the critical things internally. And internally, what we're dealing with right now is our children are bankrupt. The youth of this nation are bankrupt. Now, that's a broad statement because there's some really good youth. There's some amazing risings up of faith groups and good voices. But as a whole, the morality of this nation is bankrupt. And we can't just turn to God and say, God, fix it any more than you're going to turn to God and say, God, pay my credit card. And I, I just don't see God working that way. And I think too often we turn to God that way and expect God to pay the bill. But we created the problem. And when you run that credit card bill up or you, you've gone so far overboard on your, your leverage on your home or your property or whatever it is, the end of the time, I mean, that's our responsibility to steward. And yet what we tend to do too often is when we get to that crisis point, the first thing we do is we turn back to God and we go, okay, God, I'm here. Man, thank you. Uh, can you fix this for me? Because I'm sorry and I repent and I'll, I promise I won't do it. And again, God will right the wrongs in the world over time. But I truly believe that in the stewardship of life as we work, God gives us a little for us to steward. And as we steward that, he gives us more to steward well. And we continue to grow. But when we go out to the point where we've been stewarding poorly and then everything falls apart and then we're turning to him praying for mercy, 
I think there will be mercy in the end, but it's going to be a pretty rough ride as we recalibrate to what we can handle. I don't know what that looks like for our nation, but I can say this, is that as a nation, we haven't done collectively a good job of stewarding to where we are. Now, this is a hard one because people will tend to say and tend to say, well, I didn't have a choice. I had to get a job. I had to do this. There were a lot of choices all of us could have made of being more responsible with what we were given, of living within our means, of not trying to accelerate too far beyond what we had, to listening to where God wanted us to be and truly being faithful in that walk. Again, this isn't a blanket statement to everybody, but as a nation collectively, nations shall be judged. And I truly believe that we are in the valley of decision right now, and the nation shall be judged. So where does that leave us? Because this is pretty heavy, and it seems like a pretty dark outcome because we're like, okay, well, great. You know, like, great, Scott, you got, you're telling us our children are bankrupt, our nation's bankrupt, we have a responsibility, so what do we do? But see, this is the beautiful thing about God. What we have to let go of is our anticipation of the when or the expectation that God is just going to sweep in and make everything better. What we have to do is get back to the, the accountability. And by accountability, that's a slow and painful process. Our children right now need strong guidance. Our teens need strong guidance. And the world has changed. It has changed radically in the sense that there's two divisions. There's a bifurcation here that's happened. And you've heard me talk about that for over two years, the bifurcation. But it's real. And there are those that are truly pulling back to the anchors in faith. What I can say is the most powerful thing we can do, where we have control over it, is to reestablish that powerful center point of God in all of our homes. That means that as if there's children or youth or teens in the house or even beyond that, there has to be a requirement of reading scripture and an expectation not just to read it but to discuss it together. There has to be the return of worship to everything that we do, the honoring of God throughout the day, the discussions, even in a family sense, of talking about this and honoring what God does. You know, it's it's stunning to me for all of the successes that we hear in or politicians want to take claim for, or even for that matter, things that are happening now in the discussions of like, let's just take Durham or we want to take any of these events that we happen that we can claim success for. When do you ever hear anybody say first that God brought this for us? God has delivered this. Thank you, Lord, for what we have done. It's always topic based first. And then somehow God gets thrown in there as an afterthought. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, Thanks God. Appreciate that. After something else. How often do you hear somebody when they talk about their business And I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's not the common thread where you're hearing somebody talk about their business and they say, God did this and I've been his steward rather than look at what I've done. Look at how successful my business is. That business happens because God gave you those gifts and God guided you to that. But this is a massive paradigm shift that has to happen in our own nation. We walk in the garden and we see things grow. And we like to talk about our garden. I like to talk about the fact that I'm stewarding God's garden. I'm not putting myself on a pedestal here. But I mean, I I go through these exercises. And this is my point I'm trying to make. Because I catch myself doing the same thing. Wow, look at this. Look what I did. And I'll even, I'll stop. If I find myself doing this, I try to stop myself mid-sentence. Like, nope. Look at what God has given. And look at, and this is me rebuking myself. Look at what God has given. And look at what I've been allowed to steward. And when we start to shift the paradigm to where this becomes the common dialogue, 
We start to diminish the ego. We take away the power of Satan to lead the me world. And the me goes away because it's about God. And God honors that. God is not dis, disingenuous or anyway trying to say that you didn't have a hand in this. But my goodness, the Lord has given us all of what we have. And it has always been our task to steward it. And I think that core value has been missed deeply in our time because in a culture where everything is about me, it's too easy to forget that it's never been about me or you. It's always been about the Lord because we're here to occupy his land and secure and expand his kingdom. I'm going to close tonight a little different way. I want to read this poem by Rudyard Kipling, If. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about. Don't deal in lies or being hated. Don't give away to hating and yet don't look to too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master. If you can think and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to, broken, and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it in one turn of pitch and toss, and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, Hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiven minute, minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and, which is more, you'll be a man, my son." Patriots, we have a lot of work to do in our world. A lot of amazing things that we can accomplish in a simple act, which is just to acknowledge truly the beauty and thanks of God in all things. When we begin to take that walk in life and we begin to set aside the me and the obsessions that we have, whether it's ego, anxiety, fear, truly walking in that fearless walk with God. We're in a powerful place of change. We're reminded that it's where two or three are gathered, not two or three thousand, not two or three million, but obviously the more the greater. We're reminded with Gideon it only took 300 so I have no doubt that we can have tremendous change. But for each and every one of us, that walk that we make in the world, to me, it's an example for others to see, not because they necessarily talk to you, but by the presence that we make and the relationship that we have with Christ at all times, not just coveted moments. Our youth right now, are a real tragedy as a story. They would make a great Shakespearean play. And that's not a compliment, because that would be something on the lines of Macbeth in the true sense of tragedies. 
or Henry V. But what we can say is that God loves us infinitely. And right now, our role to me, the greatest, is to make sure that we love him and acknowledge him in all things so that not only does he hear it, but it's reflected in everything that we do because that's the true change. And with that, to be bold and confident with him, to be able to make others aware through our presence of the greatness in our loving Christ and in this world. The things that we face are not healable or fixable by man. We have a significant role in that, but in the end, that role is also to make way for God himself. We are his emissaries. We are his disciples. And as we do that, we'll see the world transform, not by our hand, but by his. But again, he has us here for a reason. And we need to take that very seriously. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for coming together and sitting with us. And Jesus, just thank you for being with us tonight. As we face a lot of the harder realities of our world, the neglect of youth, the allowance of youth to run astray, without the moral guidance, without the firm hands or examples of what truly walking with you is about. That responsibility doesn't rest on any one individual, it is, but it is the state of our nation, which is not one that is a positive reflection on our beliefs, but rather it's a darker statement of what's been allowed and how far we've fallen. And yet, Lord, we know that you can fix this with a stroke of your hand. And we also know that there's going to be a bit of a trial, likely, that we have to go through to realize how far we have fallen, not just us, but everyone together. What we pray for tonight is mercy for this nation and healing. We know that we've fallen. We put ourselves before you in repentance for a nation that has drifted far away from its core. But we equally pray that you can guide us through this time. Open our eyes to the things that we've missed. Give each of us that walks closely with Christ and with you, Lord, the opportunity to be these emissaries, to be the disciples, to show others what amazing Things come with a relationship with you to help our youth see and to fill the emptiness that's so pervasive in everything they do, to step away from the material and the vanity and to anchor deeper within the love and the eternity. So, Father, just ask that you'll guide us. Jesus, continue to walk with us. We will stumble at times and we will rise. But our time now is to try to do all that we can for you in bringing this nation to heal and to bear witness to all that you are. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. We really need to keep our prayers up for our youth. Because right now, unfortunately, and we all do it, we look at the youth and we shake our head and we're like, ugh, man. What's this country going to become? Well, it's a good question. What will it become if we don't do our task and lead by the example of the true love in Christ? We have to get past the willfulness to mock God, which has been a common theme, and get back to the point of fearing that you're not in the grace of God. That's an important piece because God loves infinitely, but I would not want to be on the opposite side of that. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. Keep your prayers up. We have a lot to pray for, a lot to be thankful for, but also a lot of work to do through prayer to heal this nation. And his will will be done. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. 
but we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. Fearlessly occupy the land, expand the kingdom, mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee, until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. All this time we had to prove that we could stand here too. All the nights been pushing through, fight for all we had to lose. Reaching out for something to pull us up to the level ground. Oh, I can see it now. I can see it now. Close to me, look how